Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> it's me, Austin Drake, and welcome to the first episode of Rambling with Austin. Um, this is the pilot. This is the the test, the the beta test. Um, I thought about making this podcast in like March when we were, you know, stuck inside, uh, pandemic going on and all that, and I didn't do it because. I don't know. I was probably just lazy, maybe a little afraid too, right? A little stage fright, uh, trying to put my opinions out there and myself out there. It can be scary. Um, but I have a lot of time on my hands right now, so I thought, well, might as well give it a shot. Um, do it for fun. Um, if it picks up, it picks up. If it doesn't, you know, it's a good time. Um, I thought it was a good way, you know, to kind of talk out some of the major points that we're seeing. Um, in the world, not just politics, not just, you know, the general humbugness of 2020, but um, just everything, you know, entertainment, movies, music, uh, anything, right? Excuse me. Um, so what are we going to do here on Rambling with Austin? What's what's the goal? Um, well, I every week, I think it'll be weekly, maybe it'll be twice a week if if, you know, I kind of get into it and like doing it enough. Uh, but for now, we'll do once a week. I'm going to create a little roadmap um, pro of sorts that kind of has you know, topics I want to talk about that are in the news, that are on everybody's mind, and just kind of go through them, discuss them, summarize them, um, and kind of give my two cents. Not that they're <laughs> worth even probably two cents, um, but something. Um, and then Anchor, which I'm recording this on, has a cool thing where um, I can have you guys, the listeners, comment and leave voice messages. I, th I think it's how that works. I'll have to look more into it. But I think it would be neat to start a discourse with you too, um, kind of talk. You know, um, Every week I can, I can look through a few, answer some questions, have a little debate maybe on something that maybe somebody has a different perspective on and you know, have a nice, respectful talk and just go about our day, right? <laughs> we'll talk about some fun things too. I have some fun things planned for the end of this episode, um, which will be really neat. Um, so let's just get started. Let's, let's get down to the meat and potatoes of this thing, right? So first, who am I? Why am I qualified to do this? First, uh, I'm not. I'm not an expert on really anything that we are going to talk about, uh, probably ever. Um, I have a degree, a bachelor's degree in social studies education with a minor in history and Middle East and Islam studies. That's it. <laughs> That's my credentials. I have my teaching license in Ohio, um, which is really neat. I taught for a year, taught seventh grade history, um, which was a great time. So yeah, that's pretty much me. I like to read. I like to hang out with my friends. Um, and we'll get to know each other as time goes on, kind of reveal a little bit about myself, I'm sure, as episodes go on and the kind of things I, I'm into, especially when we get to the fun part where I can kind of just explore what I've been doing and, and talk about it a little bit. Um, so let's just kind of dive into the first top story. Uh, one, I, ch I chose this because, especially to talk about first, because not only is it a major, major headline, um, I think it will be for a while. And when I say a while, I don't mean like two, three months. I don't mean after the election, it's going to be, we're going to stop talking about it. I think it's going to impact us for a long time. And that's the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, for those of you that don't know, I'm sure you all do, who's listening out there, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a champion on the Supreme Court. 
um, for, you know, a lot of people will say women's rights, which is true, very true. But I'll just say, you know, equality among people in general. We're going to talk about a few cases she did um, that, I mean, impacted women, sure, but it also impacted men, and it also impacted those that don't identify, um, you know, within those socially constructed ideas of gender. Um, so let's kind of get into this. Who is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and why is it important that her seat's empty now, especially when we're, what, a month or so away from, from having to vote? Some of us are even out voting now, um, depending on what state you're in. Um, so let's dive into it. Who's, who's RBG? We're going to call her RBG. Um, so RBG uh, paved the way for a lot of women in the law sphere. Um, in general, she did. She, she inspires a lot of women to this day um, to be lawyers and go into that field because it was a male-dominated field for a long time. Um, you know, women, as I'm sure we all know historically, don't get a lot of opportunities to get into those sort of intellectual, aggressive roles right like um but rbg changed all that when she got into harvard she was one of i think like four or five women in her class um in a male dominated field which is really amazing and not only did she get into harvard but she was the first female member of the harvard law review which is still to this day one of the most reputable legal sources in not just the, the country but the world people turn to the harvard law review um, to look at precedent, right? That's what our law system is based on, precedent. There has to be something that has come before it in a ruling that can impact others. Now, obviously, sometimes that's not how it works. Um, we, you know, occasionally there's a very unique case that requires some sort of first landmark ruling. Um, but, you know, it's 2020. Uh, a lot of times you can build precedent off of a case that came before it and maybe sort of shift it into a modern space, um, which we saw when same-sex marriage was was legalized. And we'll talk about that in a second, actually, because RBG was instrumental in getting that through as well. Um, but anyway, so she's on the Harvard Law Review, first female member, um, which is fantastic. Um, that's going to springboard her career so fast. And not to mention, her husband, I believe, gets gets cancer, maybe, or he gets very sick, regardless, some, some very sick illness. While they're both in law school, they have a, a child or two. So not only is she... You know, the first female member, she's getting ridiculed because of that. Nobody really believes in her. Um, but she's taking care of her husband. She's taking care of her children and also just killing it at Harvard, which is fantastic. That's absolutely amazing to me. Um, so this is going to springboard. She joins the ACLU as the, the director of women's rights. Um, and, and she sees and argues six cases, six cases, um, on gender equality before the U.S. Supreme Court, right? Um, six big cases. Now, while she's on the Supreme Court, she's going to do a lot of things. I'm going to throw some names at you. I'm going to summarize these these court cases she's on. I'm not an expert on law. <laughs> I don't have a law degree. I don't have, you know, a lot of knowledge on the law. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but there are a few big ones I thought was really interesting. Um, the first one I wanted to kind of talk about was uh, Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt in 2016. That might not mean anything to you, but um, basically what happens is Texas, Texas, uh, Texas, Texas has um, something called the Omnibus Abortion Bill. 
HB2 is what its nickname is because nobody wants to continuously say omnibus abortion bill. Um, basically, this, this HB2 um, imposes a lot of restrictions on places that provide abortions, places that will help you find abortions, um, safe and illegally, right? Um, and look, that's another discussion we can have at, at a later date, whether or not you know, you think that should or should not happen. Um, it should. Women should be allowed to choose what they want to do with their bodies, especially now. It's it's 2020. We're not in the 1950s here, okay? Um, so don't come at me with this sort of argument that women can't choose because they can regardless. Um, so basically, HB2 is trying to mandate that doctors perform procedures, have privileges, at nearby hospitals and clinics, and those hospitals and clinics meet the same standards as outpatient outpatient, excuse me, surgical centers. So basically, and that's a lot. Basically, what it's saying is HB2 wants outpatient services at these places to be like top notch, right? Like s- surgical centers where you have like brain surgery, where you need you know a lot of these. They want to create unrealistic expectations for these sort of places and. Um, if they don't meet those, well, then too bad, so sad, you can't operate, right? So they're making it extremely difficult for you to find a safe, reliable, reputable place to get this done. Um, and, you know, over the years, this has been a big hot button issue, and it still is, right? It's, it's going to be for a while, um, especially with the popularity of Handmaid's Tale, um, things like that. Um, so she's really instrumental in striking HB2 down and and getting it kind of wiped off the table. Um, the other she she's a part of is, is Obergefell versus Hodges, 2015. You might not know the name of this case. I didn't, uh, but you know the impact because it was extremely controversial throughout this entire, the entire process it was at the Supreme Court. Um, basically, you know, um, it legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states, right? Um, and really interesting, when I was researching RBG to kind of put this little little bit together, um, she officiated some same-sex marriages herself, which I thought was really, really cool. And she apparently had a history of advocating for, for you know, LGBTQ plus rights. Um, and she was extremely outspoken as a Supreme Court justice, which is really interesting too, because historically Supreme Court justices don't do that. They're very quiet. They they put out their statement on a case, and that's really about it, right? But RBG wasn't afraid, and we'll talk about this in a second actually, because it kind of got her in some hot water with some people um, a few years back, and now you know since she's passed, everybody's pulling up everything, and you know the right is trying to disparage her. We have some liberals some left, some, some Democrats who, you know, are pointing fingers and saying maybe she wasn't that great, which is really interesting too, and a kind of a point I want to talk about in a second. Um, but she was very outspoken about this. And so a lot of people credit her candid candidness and her um, ability to, to talk about this in front of a camera and her, you know, being able to sort of speak to people the way she could and getting a lot of public opinion and support behind this, um, which I think is fantastic. So, you know, RBG is going to have a legacy that lasts for years. 
And that kind of leads me into this, you know, why is it so important that her seat is empty now? Well, the election comes up soon, and I'm sure you've seen the headlines. There's no way to escape headlines today, right? You're on Twitter, even TikTok sometimes. Like, TikTok now has gotten politicized, um, which I think is really interesting. I think it's a good thing. I do. I think it generally is a good thing, um, you know, as an educator, as a teacher, somebody who wants young people to, to sort of take their future in and mold it, shape it actively by actively doing things, whether it's voting or having this open discourse or discussing. I think it's a great thing. I think there are some not good, not so good things about criticizing, uh, excuse me, politicizing things like TikTok. And I'm going to talk about that actually um, in a little bit in a different section of this, a different story. So just kind of, we'll put a pin on that for a second. But it's important because now there's this rush that the Senate, you know, is majority Republican. They will rush to put somebody in that seat. Um, that's a win-win for the Republicans if that happens. Because in one scenario, let's say President Trump wins. God forbid. But let's say uh, President Trump does win. Um, that means he's got majority vote on the Supreme Court to start overturning things, to start passing things that maybe you know, Congress doesn't allow, the House. So he's got a clear path to pass a lot of things and to reverse a lot of things um, that have been passed by Democratic presidents, by Democratic Senates, um, by, by Democratic um, justices when there's a majority of them on the court. Um, one of the big ones that everybody's worried about, um, which makes sense, right, with RBG being such a big advocate for women's rights is Roe v. Wade, right, making abortions legal. Um, I know the last I looked, and it could have changed, who knows with him, things change daily, um, depending on what time it is even, in an hour it can change, but his big, uh, his favorite to, to be put on the seat is a woman, um, and her stance, and I was, I was reading about her, and her stance is, you know, she doesn't think that Roe v. Wade is going to get overturned simply because of, you know, the legal ramifications of, of person, personal liberty, right? Like the idea that people can do what they want, it's, it's, their, it's their life, um, which I think is a really interesting take. It's really great, especially when you talk about conservatives and, you know, their political ideology is a lot of times founded in Christianity. That's why a lot of them are pro-life. That's why a lot of them you know, oppose Planned Parenthood. Not all of them, not all of them. I'm not saying, you know, all Republicans, all conservatives feel this way. I don't want to pigeonhole all of you. Um, but I, I would say a lot that I know personally, that's where their ideas come from, is their Christian background, which is fine. Be a Christian. You can be a conservative. Just be a good person, right? That's, I think that's what everybody wants. Regardless, um, I know a lot of folks, though, her, and excuse me, her ideas is that it's going to be funding, is it going to be privately funded clinics who offer these services, or is it going to be the state? And I feel like that's where we're going to run into issues. You know, they're going to make it a private thing. They're going to say that the state can't, isn't allowed to do that for some, you know, loophole reason, some law reason that maybe I'm not aware of. They probably have some sort of precedent for it, um, healthcare-wise. But they're going to make it private. And the worry is, you know, it's going to become expensive to do so. So... You know, people in low-income neighborhoods 
a lot of people are worried that minority neighborhoods who are adversely impacted by, you know, systemic racism and they're not given enough opportunities as is to get adequate health care outside of this are going to be affected so, so badly by this because it's going to become expensive so that only a few privileged can do it. Um, and then people are going to start looking for abortions elsewhere. I saw a good tweet. I don't remember who tweeted it, but basically it was on the lines of, look, abortions are never going to stop. Safe abortions will, though. So, you know, people are going to go and look for abortions where they can find them, and that's going to cause a huge upswing. Well, the fear is it's going to cause a huge upswing in the deaths of women, the deaths of babies, of, you know, kids maybe. You know, who knows? Um and it's a very valid fear, I think, because I, I, as I was researching this, you know, she's a devout Catholic, um, which is fine. It, but I think what's interesting, though, is during an interview, somebody was like kind of grilling her about her, her background because she speaks about it a lot, I guess. Um, and she made this really interesting comment that said, you know, nobody's religious beliefs should supersede and be imprinted on their law rulings. So it's interesting that she says that because... I don't know. I have a hard time seeing where somebody can take such a large part of them if you are super religious, right? Which again is fine. I'm I'm not you can do what you want, believe what you want, you know, again, as long as you're a good person. But I, I find it really hard to believe that you can just pull that you know, push that aside, um, and rule on a fair basis that's, you know, not sort of affected by that. Obviously, you know, biases are there all the time um when i was teaching you know we talked about biases when reading primary sources we talked about biases when looking at a historical event um and you know how you can't ever really get rid of those but you try your hardest so i mean i guess maybe i applaud her for maybe doing what she sees as honorable and trying her best not to let though you know her catholic ideas you know kind of supersede what she believes should be an adequate transparent reading of the law in her eyes so for that i guess i applaud her but it'll be interesting to see what happens um and it was also really interesting the revelation today you know everybody was hoping the democrats need for uh republicans to abstain from voting to block the vote they have two um everybody was really looking at mitt romney to to be a third and to find a fourth through him which I think is really interesting because you look at Mitt Romney and I kind of, I don't know, I kind of feel like an idiot <laughs> actually because I kind of hope too. I, I thought, you know, Mitt Romney, you know, his dad in Utah was really big supporter of the civil rights movement. He was, you know, an advocate for the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964. He was, you know, a really big hand in all of that. And I, I thought we had seen that when Mitt Romney came out of in support of Black Lives Matter, and he was in Utah, and he was marching, and he was talking to leaders, and, and you know, we really thought, I thought, truthfully, um, that he was, you know, going to be a voice of change within the Republican Party that we needed, um, that they needed, and he's not. <laughs> he's not. He came out today and said, you know, I'm going to listen to the nomination, I'm going to review credentials, and then I'm going to vote. I'm not going to block. Wow. That was a really big bomb on a lot of people's hopes, myself included, that, you know, it would wait until the election was over and then whoever won could uh, pick the judge. Because, you know, some of you may know, but if you don't, in 2016, when Antonin Scalia died, 
um, the seat was vacant. Barack Obama, then president, tried to, because the election was coming up, right? It was either going to be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And I think in a sort of, I don't want to say panic, but maybe just an insurance po- insurance policy, Barack tried to push through Garland, Justice Garland, uh, excuse me, uh, Judge Garland, um, tried to push him through the Senate and try to get him on, on the Supreme Court. I think, too, in preparation of maybe Donald Trump winning. I think he, he probably knew something we didn't know uh, back then. Who knows, right? Um, but he tried to push him through, and the Senate Republicans said, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going to work. We're going to block the vote. We're not going to listen to it. The winner of the election is going to decide. Here we are, 2020, same situation. You know, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, Mitt Romney. Ugh, Mitt. I had so much hope for you, man. Mitt Romney said, you know, we, we're going to have a nomination by Friday or Saturday, sometime this weekend, I think. And we are going to vote. And we should have somebody on the Supreme Court by next week. That's, I think, their plan. So it'll be... Um, a real tense week for a lot of people, I think. Um, and, I, and I've seen a lot of, though, which I think which is, which is really nice, I've seen a lot of people come out and say, look, I know things, 2020 has been a, a disastrous year. It has been for a lot of people. Losing jobs, coronavirus, the handling of the pandemic in general, not just by the president, although he's done an atrocious job. I think we can look at all of our public leaders right now and say, you guys have fucked up on a major level, right? Fucked up. Um, Somewhere along the lines, you guys have lost sight of what needed to happen. Protecting people, protecting the people that voted for you. You failed us. Um, You know, protests in the streets after the wrongful killings of black men. Um, All of this compounded together with us having to be in our houses and the isolation that comes from that. Granted, you know, that's something we have to do to protect each other, but that doesn't help, right? That doesn't help. So I think all this is coming to a head, and I know we're all tense, but I've seen a lot of people tweet that, you know, RBG was a champion of hope. She was a champion of the people. She was somebody who, against the odds, tried to succeed and do her best. And I think that's what we have to do now. Um, And that's very difficult. And I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, uh, myself included, but I think you know, we have to keep some level head for now, regroup, put our efforts into November, and see what happens, right? Plan accordingly, see what's going to happen. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm hoping, you know, unfortunately, we've got Joe Biden. All hope rests on Joe Biden and a cop, um, Kamala Harris. We'll see, right? Hopefully it's not as bad as I think. But we'll see. Um, Kind of shifting gears a little bit into this, you know, I kind of said I wanted to talk about some of the things that people are bringing up now, um, old interviews that, you know, RBG has done. And one of the biggest ones that I've seen, a lot of the criticism that's being leveled at her posthumously, is the criticism of Colin Kaepernick and athletes, I think in general, probably not just Colin, but he was one of the biggest names at the time. You know, one of the first ones who started kneeling for the national anthem and sort of starting that passive movement that a lot of athletes have latched onto. And I have a thought about that too, uh, but let me finish this real quick. Um, there's, a, there's a quote she did from an interview, and I'm going to kind of read you some of it. Um, so she goes, what do I think? I think it's really dumb of them. Would I arrest them for doing it? No, it's dumb and disrespectful. 
I have the same answer if you ask me about flag burning. I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up for doing it. So Colin Kaepernick then kind of responds and says, you know, it's really disheartening to see somebody like RBG, who has been a champion for equal rights for so, so long, come out and say this? Like, how could she? How could she say this? Um, and he was really upset, and so were a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people are upset now. And I think what happens is, and what I'm afraid is going to happen with our RBG to some people, is the United States, and I'm sure the rest of the world kind of falls into this too sometimes. I'm not sure, obviously. I don't live in the rest of the world. I live in the U.S. of A. I think the U.S., falls into this trap and has fallen into this trap with idolatry of historical figures. And I I feel sort of validated talking about this because I've spent, you know, five years studying education. I did it. I'm doing it. It's um, something I had to combat myself. Uh, and I've had kids question it too. This, this making idols out of historical figures, making them one-dimensional, one thing. One of the biggest ones, I think, that people can look at is Christopher Columbus. A lot of folks look at Christopher Columbus and say, that guy's fantastic. 1492, Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, ran into, you know, North America, South America, Havana, Cuba, and claimed it as India, trying to find the fucking Indian spice trade. Ass wipe he is, can't find it. Um, claims the land for Spain, right? And boom, kicks off what essentially is colonization of North America, right? He is the forefather of the pilgrims coming across. And people like to end the conversation there. He founded what it would become the United States. You know, we should have a capital named after him. We should have statues of him. We should have a whole holiday for him, take the day off of work, just, just kind of relax and bull around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I, it's, that's really dangerous for a lot of reasons. It's fine if you want to look at the things that somebody has done that some people can view as good. Yeah, he founded, he found, you know, North America. But the issue is, is when they don't look at the flip side of things and say, okay, well, one, North America was already here, dumbass. It existed for, for millennia. People were already here. <laughs> living here the native americans hello they were here and what people don't like to talk about with christopher columbus which i think is i don't know if it's because you know they didn't talk about it in school or if it's just something they forget after so long i don't know but they don't talk about the fact that he enslaved millions of people he killed millions of people some of them actively right he, he murders a few of them a few thousand of them others are just by his mere presence, right? They get disease on their trip, um, you know, across the sea, diseases that the Native Americans had never encountered before because they don't really exist in North America. Um, and he starts passing it around to everybody he sees. And people start dying because immune systems, they're not built for that sort of globalization of disease. Now, you know, obviously, with people coming here, there, and everywhere, interacting with people from different walks of life, with just you know, globalization in general happening. Um, we, it's a little different. But back then, obviously, you know, they didn't have that sort of ability to do that. So, you know, people are dying left and right. Smallpox, obviously, is the biggest one. Um, you know, when the, the pilgrims come here and colonization starts happening, you know, they were handing out blankets 
that were intentionally, mind you, intentionally handing out blankets filled, filled with, with smallpox to Native Americans to kill them off. And people conveniently brush that aside and don't want to talk about it. So do I think the man deserves statues? No. Tear those bitches down. Does, do they deserve, does he deserve a capital named after him? No. No, no, no. He doesn't. Um, and I, I hate to see, and the pendulum can kind of swing the other way. Typically it doesn't. But, you know, we see mob mentalities are really big right now, especially on Twitter. A lot of them, that I have seen at least, are relatively justified. Somebody does something racist, sexist, yeah, the mob deserves to kind of bear down on him, especially when they're in positions of power, um, positions where you can't have people like that. And that's, you know, where I think people misconstrued these protests that are going on. You can't have people in positions like that that do those sorts of things, that believe those sorts of things, and expect people to be okay with that. And so sometimes, you know, the pendulum swings the other way, and I don't want that to happen with RBG. Yes, she said some shitty things, um, <clears throat> but I think in general, she's a great person, and she deserves to kind of have that recognition. But again, I, I agree with bringing that up and making her a fully-fledged historical figure. You can't have a, a historical figure that's, air quotes, dead. They need to be, air quotes, living, breathing, meaning they need to be three-dimensional. We need to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Um, and another good example of that's the Founding Fathers, right? They made the Constitution, and I get that the Constitution is hotly contested right now, too, and it should be for a lot of reasons. The Founding Fathers, and people can say, and they will, uneducated people, will say that the Constitution <laughs> was written for everybody. All men are created equal. That's not how that worked. When Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and those guys were, were thinking up the ideas that would make up the Constitution, they weren't thinking about slaves. They weren't thinking about Native Americans. They weren't thinking about women. They were thinking about white landowning males who were rich. Well, I guess, I mean, if you owned land back then, you know, 1770s, you were probably fairly wealthy. Um, white landowning men who had lots of money. That's what they were worried about. And I think one of the big things that's wrong with the Constitution and the way we look at it is, you know, it's to me, it's supposed to be a living, breathing document. And again, I, I kind of mean that in the same way as the historical figure conversation, right? It's not supposed to be something that's stagnant for years. When they wrote the Second Amendment, and we can have a different discussion on gun rights and what guns deserve to be on the market and what guns don't at a later date. Um, because, look, I'm not one to say, I'm going to take away all your guns. I come from a place where guns are fairly prevalent, and I shoot, I've shot guns. Um, my family has shot guns. I enjoy shooting. Um, but I think there is a difference between having, you know, a gun to go recreationally shoot and a gun that you just shouldn't have. But uh, anyways, well, that's not on my agenda for today. It's, that would take me a whole other two hours to talk to you about. <laughs> um, no, but one of the, the things is it's a living, breathing document. When they wrote the Second Amendment, you know, and they were saying you have the right to bear arms, you have the right to form a militia to protect yourself. Back then, you know, they had just come off of fighting how many years of a tyrannical government that wouldn't let them represent themselves to have a say in what was going on and how they were being treated. And they had muskets that it took you, you know, two and a half, three minutes to load up and shoot. And it shot one, one bullet, one, mind you, wildly inaccurate bullet, <laughs> right? Because rifling um, 
wasn't necessarily it was becoming a thing but it wasn't super um important yet the french really drive that in after their you know, whole revolution over there um that's like a napoleonic kind of invention um but yeah it's supposed to be a living breathing document and it's supposed to I think conform with the times and we see that a lot with technology you know and how privacy is affected from companies like google like facebook twitter even snapchat you know i, I taught a class called digital citizenship to seventh graders right so basically we just talked about ways to be safe and smart on the internet what not to post um it wasn't supposed to be a debbie downer class like you can't have fun on the internet you can't post your friends having fun um it was just basically being safe and and how to be safe um and a lot of that talk was about privacy so we would look at the because a lot of them were under the assumption that snapchat you know deletes your photographs immediately like they don't save it like and that's like the big pull i think when snapchat first came out i remember when it came out was you know oh it doesn't save photos oh man i can receive nude images and they don't get saved well guess what they do get saved snapchat has humongous servers that save every snapchat you've ever sent to everybody everybody and you know the police the government can subpoena snapchat to get access to their to their servers <clears throat> excuse me get some to drink getting a little throat dry and say look i need to see billy jean's snapchat because he's posting about doing such and such a thing that's illegal i need proof and there it is boom there's a video of billy jean tagging the side of the school you know what i mean um and so i think that's it's good criticism right but when they wrote the constitution they weren't thinking about anybody but the which the rich white landowning males and i think a lot of people mostly conservatives put thomas jefferson george washington up on a pedestal now a lot of that criticism 95 99% i'll say is deserved um i will say though i think as somebody who loves history and and studies it i think what they did was very unique they set up a roadmap that france would use and that a lot of people would use in that constitution now they didn't do it to their best of their ability and nobody did europe's not any better than we are for most for the most part right um but i think what they tried to do what they started at least was a good was was relatively good and you know people will say let's do away with the constitution let's do away with the constitution and i don't think that's the answer either i just think we need a restructuring of how we abide by the constitution because you have constitutionalists right um who think that the constitution is gospel and we don't interpret it at all like what it says is what it says and we don't we don't put any context to it we don't and that's another big issue i think a lot of people have with history in general not just founding fathers not just christopher columbus but contextualization of things you can't have history without understanding the context of the time period that this is occurring now again that's an argument that a lot of people will make in favor of the founding fathers well just think of the context slavery was you know in back then fuck that that's not an excuse (laughs) 
You know what I mean? It's not an excuse to continue because they had an opportunity. Like the founding fathers had an opportunity to say, look, we're going to end slavery. And they said 1776, um, you know, the declare independence, July 4th. We all know that date. As the Revolutionary War is kicking up and in the midst of it, the throes, the United States is getting their ass beat, man. We're getting blown up. Um, obviously, the British Empire, strongest empire in the world at the time. Navy, huge. Army, huge. Um, and they're just beating the shit out of us. So we go to slaves. We say, listen, we will free you, freedom, if you fight for us and if we win. Huh? Guess what, though? We don't do it. We tell them, look, man, freedom if you fight for us. And then we kind of give them the big, fat middle finger afterwards. And enslave 98% of them. Some do get lucky. They get free. And they can, you know, try to make a, a life, a living. Again, though, with the Constitution, with the Bill of Rights, a lot of it's geared toward white men. So it doesn't really help. Um, a lot of freed slaves who, you know, have papers that they're freed, who have proof that they're free, who are living in states that don't support slavery, that don't have slavery, are getting rounded up and taken back and put into slavery by slave catchers, by old masters, old plantations. And so, yeah, the context argument there doesn't do it for me, I don't think. Because if these men were so enlightened, if they really cared, then what the hell? Um, the only founding father that maybe gets some sort of leeway, I guess, is Alexander Hamilton. Even then, that guy's a prick. Um, but he was at least abolitionist to an extent. Even then, though, he doesn't really fight too hard when the other founding fathers kind of go, Alexander, this is kind of a shitty idea. He kind of relents. Um, so then again, maybe he doesn't. I guess that's up for you to decide um, if he does or doesn't. And that could be something that you could you could leave me a message on. Actually, that'd be kind of neat. Talk to me about it. Talk to me how you feel about that sort of argument, context being in history, how you know the blind sort of idolatry of historical figures kind of ruins things for a lot of people and a lot of issues. Because I think it would be neat to have that conversation. So please, by all means, um, let's have a discussion about that. Because I think it could be really, really good. Um, another example that I kind of want to move into, because I've been using a lot of old, super old, is, you know, I, I am a Democrat. <gasps> Gasp. I'm a Democrat. Hopefully I haven't lost some of my listeners because of that. Um, I like to think I'm a reasonable guy. Uh, but I guess if you don't agree with me, then you shouldn't be here in the first place. Right? <laughs> um, is Barack Obama, like I voted for Obama, right? The first time, the first election I could vote in, I voted for Obama. Um, I would have voted for Obama the first time as well. I would have. Um, but Barack Obama for a long time was touted as this hero. And, and in a lot of ways, I think it's like the RBG situation. He should be the first black man to become president, right? And we just talked about how, you know, the founding fathers, hang on one second, my cat is being a dick. Sorry, gang. Yeah, my, I have a cat, Indy. She's beautiful. I love her to death, but she's annoying as hell sometimes. She's pulling on my mic cord while I'm trying to speak. Anyways, um, back to Obama. So, I, like I said, I voted for Obama and for a long time after he's done uh, being president. People are saying, oh, man, he did such amazing things. 
you know, the Affordable Care Act, layman term, Obamacare. Um, you know, he, you know, the death of Osama bin Laden, um, you know, he really put Iran in their place. You know, he was tough on, on Russia. And a lot of those things I think you you can you can say, yeah, like he did some, some good foreign policy things. Um, but a lot of things kind of got swept on the rug for a while until probably like 2018-ish, maybe I want to say, is when like a lot of these first started happening. And a lot, even now, with, you know, the young generation, younger than me even, coming out and saying, guys, why are we labeling Obama as a savior when drone strikes increased? I, I don't know the actual percentage. I probably should have looked it up, so that's my bad. Sorry, guys. Here I am, <laughs> a teacher unprepared for his his discussion. Um, but it went it, it went up, I believe, a significant amount. And, well, hang on. I've got access to the Internet. Let me just hang on. Drone strikes. Just dude, drone strikes Obama. This could be really bad, actually. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so according to Newsweek, I can't tell you how reliable Newsweek is, um, but we're going to roll with it for now. Um, according to Newsweek, Obama orders 526 drone strikes in his presidency between January 2009 and December 2016. That's 10 times, according to them. Again, you know, figures can be conflated. Figures can be misstrewed sometimes um, or you know, numbers don't lie. That's not what I'm trying to say. Numbers don't lie. But the way you use facts and figures can make them look a little different. Um, but apparently that's 10 times the number issued by George Bush. According to estimates of non-government organizations. So organizations that aren't affiliated with the United States, um, or at least the government. Um, oh, here, let's look at Snopes. Snopes also take with a grain of salt, uh, for the most part, I think. But what does Snopes have to say? Oh, Snope says that's true. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So Snope says it's true. Um, so does Newsweek. I don't know. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that, you know, the number's probably somewhere around 500. They probably can't find an exact number. Um, that's probably something that the government doesn't like to throw around. Um, but let's just say it's in the 500s, right? 500 drone strikes killing... Uh, I think Snopes said like an estimated 4,000 citizens, right? Those are war crimes. And he let me just say he doesn't notify Congress of that either. Technically, because of a loophole made by, by Dick Cheney and George Bush that gave the executive branch a lot of powers when it comes to, and that could be something actually I think we can talk about next time because I think that would be really interesting because we're seeing a lot of those same executive powers being used by Donald Trump in a lot of ways. And so I, I, I'm going to make a note here. I think that that's something I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into a lot more in depth and get a lot of information on. That way we can have a discussion about that next week because I think that would be so interesting. Anyways, sorry. Again, this is rambling with Austin. I know I'm rambling. Um, maybe incoherently. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's keeping some sort of rhythm to it. Again, this is the pilot, so I apologize. I know it might be a little hectic um, until I get into a groove and in how I like to do things and you know, being comfortable on a mic and recording. Um, it's a little different. But anyways, so, yeah, so he kills, let's say, an estimated 4,000 people. And then he doesn't notify Congress of that because of the powers made by George Bush and Dick Cheney that give the executive branch a little more authority in the commander-in-chief seat with the commander-in-chief hat on, right? Um, yeah, that's, like, 
almost war crime territory. Well, that is, right? <laughs> it's war crime territory. It kills a lot of civilians. It kills a lot of civilians. Um, and so people don't like to bring that fact up. I, I mean, people, that's a general term, right? There are some people, a lot of the traffic that I see on the inter internet because of the circles, the people I follow, like on Twitter, um, you know, the, the circles I run with, they talk about it a lot. I see it there. But I, I have a feeling that, like, mainstream, like, neoliberals, like a Joe Biden crowd, don't like to talk about that. Um, and that's this, it's the same idea. It's the blind idolatry, right? It's a, he's a Democrat. They voted for him. They vote party lines. And they don't like to talk about the, the thing. And that creates, again, like a one-dimensional historical figure, which causes a lot of problems. Um, I can't count the number of times that, you know, a kid at school would ask me, you know, how I felt about Columbus Day or a fellow teacher on my team, because I was the only social studies teacher, would say, hey, like, what are your thoughts on this? You know, what are your, how do you feel about it? And we would discuss it. And I would be, I'd be candid. You know, I'm 25. I'm going to be 25 in November. And I'd be candid about it. I go, look, this is kind of how I feel. You know, I'm not trying to be aggressive. I'm not trying to be combative towards you. I'm not trying to start some political argument or create some divide between us as, as team members and as friends, right? A lot of them are my friends, um, which can be hard to, to do nowadays, right? And a lot of me feels, especially with the protests and the response by a lot of government officials, including President Trump, um, it's very difficult to maintain friendships, I think, because of political ties. Um, so I'd like to get your thoughts on that too. How do you maintain those friendships. If you have a friend who, let's say, you know, I'm a Democrat, how, how do you maintain friendships with your Republican friend, especially if that Republican friend did vote for President Trump? Do you just not talk about it? How, how does that work? And, it, you know, what are strategies that you've taken to maintain those friendships to avoid talking about those? Because a lot of the people that I grew up with, a lot of the people that I know from my hometown, I mean, they are Republicans, and I love them to death. If you're listening to this and you think I'm criticizing you and I don't want to be friends to you, please don't think that. I do love you people. I do. Um, I want to maintain those friendships. Um, I'm a reasonable guy, I think. I can have a, a civil adult conversation about most things, and I can, you know, create some sort of compromise on a lot of things. But the one thing that I gets me all the time is when somebody says that they don't support the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and I think next week I'm going to try to get a guest on here. I know it's like the second episode, but, you know, I'd re really like to get a guest on here who can maybe give us some better insight into that area. So let's put a pin in that. But again, really, though, message me, you know, respond to this and, and let me know how you maintain those friendships because I'm really interested in that. Um, yeah, so let's let's move on. Let's, we're about 47 minutes in. That was a really good discussion, I think. Let's move into another headline. Um, and this one's going to be a chunk too. Let's talk about, you know, the other big headline that's going to dominate the world until at least, God, Fauci says until probably of April of next year, 2021, right? We're going to be dealing with this like for a fucking year now. Coronavirus. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I'm not, I'm not used to talking for this long. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Um, I'm having a great time. Hopefully you can tell. Um, I know, you know, sometimes I can be a little enthusiastic. So let me know, too, what you'd like to see change, if I can do something better. I love criticism. I love taking criticism. Please let me know. 
But let's talk about the coronavirus. Not, you know, the unfortunate 200,000 that have passed because of, you know, no vaccine. Very little treatment options that can be found because it takes shape so many different ways, it seems, and so many different people and different age groups. Um, and because of the lack of response from the government in a lot of facets, again, we can blame President Trump, and we should. He's in charge. He can try to duck it. His supporters can try to duck it. But he's in charge. Could you imagine if, like, Barack Obama were in charge and the pandemic happened and this was how it went? I would hope that Democrats would look at him and go, dude, what the fuck is going on? What are you doing? Are you just sitting there, like, twiddling your thumbs, man? Tweeting? Why aren't you figuring out what to do? Um, and it doesn't seem like a lot of Republicans are willing to do that. I don't know. seems weird. But let's talk about conspiracy theories. And I'm not a big... I don't believe in really any conspiracy theories. The only conspiracy theory, and maybe I can bring this up at some episode too, that I'll even come close to adhering to is the JFK assassination. I, I like to kind of delve into that. Is it the mob? Is it the CIA? Is it the Russians? Um, time travelers? Who knows? Um, was it the Kennedys themselves? Was it Lyndon B. Johnson? That's kind of my favorite, um, consp- uh, not conspiracy theory, but um, what's the word? What's the word? I don't know. Right theory, I guess. That's it's kind of my favorite answer to that to that question: is who assassinated JFK? Lyndon B. Johnson, because you know after JFK gets shot, Lyndon B. Johnson's like on Air Force One within like 20 minutes, getting sworn in in front of Jackie Kennedy, who is covered head to toe in, you know, her husband's blood and brain matter after he got it, you know, blown away by Lee Harvey Oswald. And then not to mention that Lee Harvey Oswald gets assassinated by Jack Ruby like a couple weeks afterwards. Come on. And Jack Ruby you know, had ties to the CIA so my favorite thing is, you know, tying together the CIA theory with the Lyndon B. Johnson theory and that, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson, the CIA, the government really didn't like the civil rights movement, didn't like the Civil Rights Act, didn't really fit into their narrative for what they wanted the United States to be and for who to, they wanted it to benefit from. And so, you know, they murdered John F. Kennedy to stop. Well, then, you know, the outpouring began of, let's pass it, let's pass it, let's pass it. Um, and so they did. Regardless, let's talk about conspiracy theories, the coronavirus series, because there are so many of them. I had to get rid of the Facebook app because a lot of people that I know, I grew up with, I graduated high school from, believe in these ridiculous theories, man. How masks are tracking you, how it's like a, a form of slavery and oppression. That Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci, excuse me, are the Antichrist in that this vaccine is going to be like the mark of the beast. Again, I don't care if you're a Christian. That's fine. Be Christian. Um, I support people believing what they want to believe. But you have got to, <laughs> I don't know, come to grips with some sort of reality here, people. Anyways, looking at the University of Pennsylvania, the Public Policy Center publishes a study, pretty recent, um, in the Social Science and Medicine magazine, the journal, and... The researchers surveyed 840 U.S. adults between uh, late March and July to figure out how 
you know, people, the belief, their beliefs over the coronavirus change over the time period. Um, back in March, and I'm, I'm just reading straight from the, straight from the journal, the article. Back in March, 28% of people believed a debunked rumor that the Chinese government created the coronavirus as a bioweapon. This was really popular. I remember even like relatives of mine, you know, we would talk and they would go, Austin, man, did you hear? Dude, the, the, there's a lab in Wuhan that created this and then it got out mistakenly and now it's killing everybody. What do you think they wanted that for? And I go, dude, come on. You're going to believe that because what, like a fucking block of text on Facebook written by a so-called expert posted by uh, your pastor, your fucking uh, city councilman. They believe that. Come on. Um, then that number rose to 37% by July. So that's like 37% of people in the United States, adults, eight, of the 840, believed that China was creating a bioweapon to be released. That had no factual basis. There was no factual basis. The FBI comes out and says it's not true. 24% believed that the U.S. Center for Disease Control, the CDC, uh, exaggerated the virus's danger to hurt Trump politically despite having any evidence to support that claim. So they're claiming the CDC is pol as a politicized weapon and they don't really care about people. They care about getting Donald Trump out of office and they conflate the virus. They say, look, it's deadly. It'll kill you. Stay home. And they do that to hurt Donald Trump. <laughs> Come on. Baseless. Um, that figure rose to 32% in July. In March, 15% of respondents said they believed that the pharmaceutical industry created the virus to boost drug and vaccine sales, another unfounded theory, compared to 70% in July. So that's like the least popular, but that's still like a crazy thing. And that kind of ties into a larger conspiracy, right? Like the anti-vax movement, which also is fucking ludicrous to me. Get the flu vaccine. Get it. I know people that are immunocompromised. I taught students that were immunocompromised that had to have their own, you know, specified seat that nobody else could sit in. They had to have their own equipment when we used it in class. They had to have their own Chromebook. Because, you know, if they got a disease, they're going to get super, super sick. If they caught the flu, they're going to get very ill. One of my best friends, immunocompromised, she gets sick. She gets sick, very sick. So that's why vaccines are important. And it's amazing to me that, like, white suburban moms have, like, taken this, have apparently all have science degrees, and are like, fuck this. We don't need vaccines. It causes untold diseases. It's untested. Vaccines take like 18 months for, I, I believe, like trials to even start. You don't think they test that shit? So where are they getting these crazy notions, though? Whoops, sorry, I kind of bumped my mic if you heard that. Where do they get these sort of things? Like <laughs> social media, uh, conservative media are the two biggest points. So you're looking at like at Fox News, Sean Hannity, uh, Tucker Carlson, who have the, they have the brain cells of an amoeba, by the way. Okay, I take that back. Tucker Carlson actually um, is a very well-spoken guy. I hate to admit it. I hate to admit it. He is, he, he, he's convincing to those that aren't actually listening and thinking through what he's saying, but he spews such like propaganda bullshit that it takes away all credibility from him. Um, you know, Breitbart is another big one that I see 
you know, everybody posting about, again, that's where biases come into play. You have a thing, place like Breitbart, the Atlantic is another good example. It's not conservative. It's just pretty left-leaning, right? The Guardian is another one. Um, they have pretty liberal left views, right? They write a lot of articles that have that sort of tinge. And people read those because that's what they agree with. And that's fine. I read the Atlantic all the time. I love the Atlantic, but that's because I'm a Democrat and I agree with what they're saying. But I also recognize, because I'm an educated individual, that they have a bias and that sometimes they can skew figures as well to make it look, you know, more presentable for their argument. So you have to keep that in mind too. But let's talk about social media because that's like another big one, man, where like conspiracy theories like grow. Because I can't, I can't recall the amount of times when, you know, people were getting ready to kind of being a mandatory mandatory lockdown for like the, you know the two weeks, and I can't count the number of times that I had people text me or I saw on Facebook, or I was talking to somebody I know on the phone, and they said, "Hey, I saw on Facebook a friend of mine. They have somebody who works down at the warehouse. What warehouse that is? Don't fucking know. They work down at the warehouse though, and their buddy." who knows this guy, said that, look, it's coming, man. We're going to be in our houses for a month. Prepare. You're not going to be allowed to go anywhere. You're going to get arrested if you leave. Prepare. It's like tyranny, man. Martial law. What the hell? All we got was like, stay home. If you got to go to the grocery store, wear a mask. Six feet apart. Don't go to work. For like two weeks. Now, bars, restaurants are open. Some of them don't even follow mask regulations. The mask regulation isn't even a law. Come on. But Facebook is a big place where those happen, right? Like these baseless, like these huge chunks of text that come from a so-called expert. Um, I've got a PhD in some fucking thing. And it's like unfounded. Nobody fact checks it. Nobody fact checks who wrote it or who's posting it and sharing it. They just like click the share button. Sometimes, like, I see people share articles that they don't even, I don't even think they fucking read it. Because then I read it, because that's just who I am. I'm like, you know, like, this says nothing. It's a bunch of clickbait. It's like those, I always see people share those asteroid articles. I'm sure you've seen them too, where it's like, asteroid coming in has the potential to wipe all life off of Earth. And then you click on it and you read it. And it says, yeah, this asteroid has the potential to wipe out all life on Earth. But it's going to pass by us by, like, the same distance we have between the fucking sun. And I'm like, okay, well, never mind. Um, but another big thing that Facebook hasn't been combating is right-wing conspiracy theories. And I've become, like, enamored with the mental gymnastics that a specific conspiracy theory, which is gaining a lot of steam in the popular media and in popular, like, republic conversation, and that's QAnon. Um, if you don't know what QAnon is, I'm going to give you a short summary. Maybe I'll do like a whole thing about it because it's really quite astonishing actually. But QAnon is something that started on 8chan. If you don't know what 8chan is, it's like a message board or it used to be, it's shut down now. Um, it was a message board, kind of like 4chan. That's like the more popular version. Um, started on 8chan and somebody named, simply named Q made a post. I don't know. I don't even know what the first Q drop, they're called Q drops. Q drop was, but it was something to do with Donald Trump and the quote-unquote deep state. The deep state is, you know, a set of agents who are conspiring against, you know, the government and Donald Trump and trying to bring it down. And, you know, they believe in this thing called the cabal, which is made up of, like, George Soros, the Clintons. And for some reason, like, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, 
okay, Donald Trump's like best friends with them. <laughs> Anyways, it's like the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, uh, the cabal, and they like run the world, and they're like a satanic cult too, and they like kidnap children and like kill them and eat their bones or some shit. Um, but Q is like an agent, a counter, you know, insurgent in the deep state, and he's like trying to wake up the people. If you heard the term red, red pilled being thrown around lately, that's what it means. Like if you're red pilled, you believe in Q and like you're awake. You're not a, sh- you're not a sheeple. You're not part of the sheep <laughs> sheeple of the United States. Um, so yeah, they get these Q drops and they're really, really ambiguous. Like it just says some like bullshit, like the storm is coming. Okay. Fucking in the storm. So when the storm comes, like there's going to be a bunch of indictments. They're going to arrest like Hillary Clinton and like Tom Hanks and Ellen DeGeneres and like a bunch of Hollywood elites um, and throw them in Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay. Okay. Um, and they're going to essentially drain the swamp, right? <laughs> okay. Um, one of the big things, well, when it, when it got really big was Pizzagate. And you might remember Pizzagate. Um, if you don't, I'm going to give you a, a short summary. And I'm going to talk about a few other instances where Q has been involved, and we're going to talk about him a little bit. But Pizzagate happened at Comet Ping Pong in Washington, D.C. Um, it's a pizza restaurant owned by a guy who, you know, did a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton. Well, Q makes a drop sort of alluding to the idea that Hillary Clinton, yeah, you know, kidnaps kids and, like, drinks their blood and does a whole bunch of unspeakable things to them. And some guy in California or North Carolina, I think North Carolina maybe, believes this and decides to travel to Comet Ping Pong with an AR-15, terrorize this restaurant because he wholeheartedly believes that there are kids trapped under this, under like secret tunnels underneath this, this pizza place. Do I need to say that for you again? This man thinks that there are children trapped under Comet Ping Pong. (laughs) Like, how fucking ludicrous. How insane is that, dude? Come on now. But that's what really shot Q into the mainstream. Everybody starts writing articles. Everybody starts seeing this. And then, you know, unfortunately, one of the things about bringing awareness to it is you bring awareness to it. And your hope is you're going to bring awareness to the people so they don't fall into the trap but the flip side of that is they do hang on my phone is buzzing who is texting me um sorry let me hang on uh anyways sorry um but anyway, so, so QAnon gets launched into the mainstream, like the stratosphere. Like Time is writing an article and like the New York Times and like Washington Post are writing all these articles covering Pizzagate. And then all of a sudden, boom, it explodes. It gets huge. Um, people start joining the effort. They start making this hashtag where we go one, we go all um, to sort of like connect with each other. Um, the, the forum on HN gets huge. People start making, like, YouTube channels that get, like, four, five, six, sometimes even a million. I think the, the, the QAnon video that's got the most is at, like, a million now. A million views. Um, it's nuts. A couple of other examples 
um, some vigilantes that believe in Q that, you know, they thought Q made a drop that was alluding to, you know, a dangerous caravan of people from Mexico coming up. So a group of vigilantes captured 300 migrant workers at gunpoint on the U.S.-Mexican border. They're not associated with, like, Border Patrol or any sort of, quote-unquote, official institution. They're just people, like you and me, with guns they shouldn't have. Um, the firebombing of a Minnesota mosque, an attempted firebombing of a, uh, of a uh, Illinois Women's Health Center by an Illinois militia. And another thing that's really interesting is QAnon has also really gotten twisted up in like the three percenters and like the Boogaloo Boys. I don't know if you know who those guys are either. Um, but the Boogaloo Boys and the three percenters are, are like white supremacist groups, right? That uh, kind of like their ideology is starting to get sort of like I hate to say the word poisoned because they're already poisoned, but poisoned by QAnon. And so, yeah. How crazy is that? An armed Nevada man uh, is blocking traffic, blocking of traffic with an armored vehicle on a bridge near Hoover Dam. Don't really know what's up with that, why he's blocking that off. It's probably something to do with like the Hoover Dam being like the headquarters of the cabal, <laughs> some fucked up shit like that. Um, and, and now... You know, we talked about the mainstreamness and it's being shot in the stratosphere. It's so mainstream that there are Congress people, people running for Congress. There's probably already some in Congress that believe in this shit. The The biggest one that I have seen um, is, I'm going to butcher her first name, but I don't really care. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think it's uh, Marjorie. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene speaks at the RNC for the longest time. She had hashtag W-W-A-G-1-W-G-A. That's like the abbreviation for where we go all, uh, where we all go one, we go all. They're like slogan kind of. It's from like a book, I think. And it, there's a really good account called Travis View and a really amazing podcast, Q Anonymous, where they break down a lot of the information and the individual Q drops very specifically and talk about some of the batshit crazy things that are happening. Like the JFK Jr. who died in a plane crash like in the, 90s i think is still alive and like he might be q um or like one of the biggest ones i saw recently was you know john f Ken john f kennedy jr is gonna come out from the shadows that he's hiding in and you know he's gonna be trump's running mate for 2020 he's gonna assert mike pence mike pence is just like a placeholder the fuck anyways but she doesn't she used to have that in her bio right that the slogan but there was a q drop i think it was yesterday that that q came out and Anyway, hang on. Q came out and said, you guys got to stop having this in your social media. You guys got to stop being so brazen about your belief in, in this because it's going to start, you know, pushing people away. You have to be subtle about it. You have to be very quiet, very sneaky. And I wonder, like, I truly wonder if, like, is that, like, a, a government thing? Is this, like, because nobody knows who Q is, Right. It could just be, it probably started as some weird troll, some or maybe some crazy bastard thought of it. But maybe this is like a, an FBI thing, like a CIA thing. They're like, hey, man, we got to put a plug in this somehow, man. I don't know. It's weird. And we see a lot of this kind of make its way in with the new hashtag. I think it's save, save the children, maybe, is what they're saying. Um, 
but it's sort of like a light cue-esque thing um pointing out you know it, it, it got a lot of steam i think when that fucked up netflix thing came out cuties or whatever um and don't get me wrong that shit is why would you make that i, well, I read like sort of like the artist statement and it's supposed to be you know she is an immigrant and it's supposed to be kind of her story about it but there are way better ways to say it to tell your story and i'm sure your story is heartbreaking but you need to <laughs> there could have been a better way to do it um fucked up but it really started with that and trying to take down netflix and the and the like the the, the pedophilic the, the pedophiles of hollywood um but there have been a lot of like you know, people who do this for a living who, who work to stop human trafficking and sex trafficking in the United States. And, you know, they've come out and say, guys, like, what you're doing truthfully hurts the cause because instead of looking at concrete proven places where this is happening, you're diverting eyes and attention to something that, look, do I believe that, you know, Hollywood is full of people who do sh- horrible, horrible shit like that? Yes, there have been proven cases, right? Um, do I think they deserve to be harshly punished? Oh, yeah, I do. Fuck those guys. Um, but, you know, these guys have come out, these, these, they kind of have a point. You know, you need to combat this where the proof is there and we can do it. If the proof is there, take it and run. But they have statistics, they have, you know, rings that do this that they're trying to stop. And instead of you know, them putting their focus on concrete established circles and trying to dismantle those, they're looking at some la-la land trying to figure out what the hell's going on. I don't know. Shit's nuts. It's just, and it's not even just, and it's not even just people who aren't quote-unquote educated. There are people who are conventionally, who I thought were you know, conventionally educated, went to college, got a degree. Not not saying that you have to have a degree to be educated. I know a lot of folks who are extremely smart but didn't go to college. Um, good choice. Um, but I, I just, man. And with with that quarantine, like we were talking about the mandatory two-week shut-in and, like, you know, the isolation of quarantine and the availability of the Internet now, and having so much time on your hands, not working, you can fall down that rabbit hole so fast, so fast. And I think that's what kind of happened. And that's why kind of this, this kind of sprang up quick, <laughs> right? And it's amazing because, you know, Donald Trump has sort of talked about them, didn't really say anything positive, but didn't say anything negative. So Q folks are like, ah, oh, shit, the president talked about us, talked about us by name didn't say anything bad though so we're gonna take it and run that's like validation for them um so it's kind of interesting to see how that's gonna play out especially if like joe biden wins are they gonna accuse like because i don't think joe biden's name really has been mentioned in any of those like any any at least like what's the word you know uh popular popular q drops because there's like there's literally i think like hundreds a day made by fake cues, quote-unquote real cues, who fucking knows cues. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Joe Biden hopefully wins, uh, whether or not Q kind of takes shots at him, pot shots. I don't know. We'll see. Um, 
let's shift gears a little bit to something completely different, not politics, but I kind of wanted to talk about escapism a little bit. I don't know. I've been thinking about it a lot. And, you know, I've been indulging in a lot of what I would call escapism. I read a lot. I like to play, you know, I'm on my computer with my friends playing video games. Um, and I think that's because, you know, I'm a little freaked out at the state of the world, right? I think like a lot of us are. The election of 2020, you know, the racial tension that's hanging in the air, the wild... The, I think the thing that kicked it off for me is I, little personal detail, I hate, hate feeling helpless in any situation. Um, and so I think like, obviously I, I can't create some big structural change in the government, but I can feel like I'm doing something by voting and by demonstrating. Not that I have. If you're listening to this, government, I have not. Wink, wink. Um, but by demonstrating, by making my voice heard, um, I feel like I can kind of contribute to at least a little bit of change, right? Um, but with like the wildfires in California and Oregon, bruh, I can't fucking do shit against that. Like, I <laughs> What am I going to do? Run out there with a bucket of water and try to dump it on it? I can't do anything about that. Flap my arms at it. Try to try to blow on it. So I think that kind of freaked me out a little bit. And so I started indulging in a lot of escapism, playing a lot of a lot of games with my friends, like I said, reading a lot. And I and I started thinking like a lot of people shit on people who watch sports. And I like I love basketball. Cavs fan, diehard Cavs fan. Um even after LeBron left, even after LeBron left, we're shit tier, I know. Look, Colin Sexton, badass. Um, anyways, but a lot of people shit on people for watching football, basketball, hockey. And a lot of people got mad at folks who were upset that sports got canceled. And um, one, a part of me understood. I was like, yeah, it's just a bunch of overpaid guys throwing a football. Granted, they're very good at throwing a football. Don't get me wrong. They're way fucking better than I am. But it's just a football. Who cares? And then I thought, well, look. What happens if the internet just went off? Right? Or, like, my computer just stopped working in the midst of the pandemic and I couldn't afford to fix it? Because I really couldn't at the time, right? Teaching's not very lucrative. I don't know if you guys know that. Um, how would I feel? I'd feel pretty bad. So I, and, and so I think if we look at sports as a form of escapism for a lot of folks, boomers, a lot of them, right? I think we can have a different perspective because a lot of people sit down for like four or five hours a day and watch f football games, even if it's not the team you love. Even if it's not like the Cleveland Browns or the who Tennessee Titans, the Patriots. I know people hate the Patriots. I don't watch in the NFL that often. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, like they sit down for hours and watch those. That's their form of escapism. They can forget about the stress of work. They can forget about the stress of the world burning down, of the environment collapsing, of the economy, of maybe losing their job to COVID, unfortunately, or maybe they know somebody who had COVID, or maybe they have COVID. They can forget that stress and just watch a guy chuck a football 60 yards down the field for a touchdown for a couple of hours and not get pissed at what's going on out there, but get pit, get pissed at people they're never going to meet. Hey, fuck you, Aaron Rodgers. You threw an interception. Like, they can be mad at people like that. 
And so I think that's like a healthy thing. Some people say sports are dumb. Sure. I don't really like football. But it's escapism, right? It's the same thing. I don't know. I was just really thinking about that lately um, and how, you know, people really turned, I think, to escapism, especially during quarantine. I mean, you have nothing to do. All you consider is worry about what's going on and hope that it ends soon and that a vaccine happens and that you don't get sick or that your loved ones don't get sick or your friends. And so escapism is how you do that. Um, as we're nearing the end of this, we're at like what, 116, 25 looks like. Um, I'm going to start wrapping things up. I want to talk about some fun things that I've been doing. And we can have a sort of discussion about that. Uh, here, let me pose a question, another one to you. Um, what kind of things do you use to escape? I mean, I know I have a friend who loves playing the bass. He plays the bass to anything and everything. And he just does it for a few hours. And, you know, just kind of forgets about what's going on, about the stress of work, um, things like that, and, and really just plays bass. Like I said, I read. I play video games. I kind of just shut my brain off and look at my computer for a little bit maybe, watch YouTube, watch a movie. I love movies. Um, so what are some things you used to escape? Maybe there's some things we didn't talk about that I never thought of. Maybe it's like going outside to hike. Just tell me. Tell me about them. We'll discuss them next time. Um, so what's some fun things that I've been doing? Um, I, haven't, I prepared for this. That was It was really fun preparing for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, took a few hours yesterday. Just researched. Looked up uh, some facts. Cross, cross-checked some things. Um, really wanted to make sure that I got a lot of information correct before I put it out here. I always want to do that. As a history teacher, I always like looking at primary sources if I can, secondary sources if I can't. And really just getting up as full a picture as I can in the time restraint that I have. And really just uh, doing it. Um, so yeah, yesterday while I was doing this, I watched a couple of movies. Les Mis, oof, the 2012 movie with Hugh Jackman, um, Anne Hathaway, who, uh, is it Eddie Redmayne? Yeah. Plays Marius. Aaron Tavet. Oh, who's the, I made a cipher it, I think, plays Kazette. And I don't know the girls who play, who plays Epony, and I should know. Sasha... Is it Cohen? Bowen? I don't remember his last name. Um, and Tim Burton's ex-wife. Helena Carter. Oof. I can only imagine if I left it there. Yikes. But Helena Carter. Um, fantastic, dude. I forgot how great that they present that music. Sure, some of them aren't the best singers. Russell Crowe, for example. Oh, God. I'd rather drill a hole in my ears and listen to him sing for like four hours. But just, like, the way he presents Javert as, like, this stoic, like, unyielding lawman, I think, was really good. And you can tell, I think, that they cast it based on how they were going to portray characters and how they were going to act out sort of the the music. Because if you haven't seen Les Mis, you should watch it. It's on Netflix, the 2012 movie. But it has no speaking lines, right? It's all music. Um, All singing. Now, some of them, they kind of morph into, like, just the little rhyming thing. Um... But the way he presents Javert is so good. And Hugh Jackman, oof. I love Hugh Jackman. I love you, Hugh. If you're listening to this, I love everything you've done. Um, he does such a great Jean Valjean. He brings like such a personality to it that is so good. So good. Um, and it's like extremely sad. And as a history, history guy, if you like history out there, watch it. It's about the French Revolution. Some of the details are exaggerated. Some of them are wrong. But the majority of the picture that they try to paint is extremely accurate and i was i was watching it and i was like man these people are taking to the streets 
They're fighting the government. The government is sending out troops on horseback to sort of quell the crowd somewhat aggressively. That's what's going on here. I was like, what the fuck? My mind was kind of blown. I was really trying to draw parallels between here and now, and I kind of had to shut that off, I think, for a little bit because I just wanted to enjoy the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? I also watched The Greatest Showman. That's kind of a controversial take because P.T. Barnum was kind of a dickhead, kind of an asshole, um, really manipulative, really shitty to the people that worked for him. And the way they're portraying him in the movie isn't quite, I, I think, it's, again, it's one of those idol tree things. They, they idolize him in that in that film quite a bit. But the music's fantastic. The visuals are stunning. And it's just a, a really fun thing to, just to, again, turn your brain off Listen to Hugh Jackman sing to you and have a great time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I've got. We're an hour and 20 in. I hope you liked it. hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what can be done better. Let me know if you want to hear about some specific things. I would love to take requests. Um, I'll check it pretty frequently. And leave me any questions, any comments. Give me something to talk about, people. Debate me. But let's be civil about it. Like I said, I'm a reasonable guy. I don't think I presented anything in here that would warrant any sort of aggressiveness. If you don't agree with me on something, that's fine. We're people. We are not going to agree on things. Now, I'll say this. If you are going to say, ah, I don't agree with you on, like, the legacy of Obama. I think you should be touted as a hero. That's fine. We can discuss things like that. Or the Founding Fathers. If you're going to come in here and say some dumb fucking shit about how if people would comply with the law they'd be alive fuck off i don't want that shit don't come in here with that i'm not gonna i'm gonna ignore you and i'm not gonna talk about it okay that's my disclaimer that's it um yeah so i hope you enjoyed this has been rambling with austin episode one i might try to release these on what is today's today tuesday i f- can't keep track of the fucking days anymore yeah i think i'm gonna release them on tuesdays uh, at some point, uh, maybe Wednesdays, depending on what, how work is. I kind of work a little bit of hectic hours now. Um, so yeah, again, comment, message, tell me what you feel. Tell me what you think. If you liked it, if you didn't, what could be better? What could not be? We'll see you next time. Rambling with Austin.